unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. Tonight, we have Alki Historiker with us. Um, I actually discovered him, I think, via Berserk. And then I went to his YouTube page and was like, wow, I need to have this gentleman on because uh, his video series on unions is absolutely excellent. Excellent. So having said that, Alki, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in all this, and we will go from there, my friend. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Alki. Um Usually just go by Alki, so you can call me that. Uh, I am, I guess, a YouTuber, and I make videos about organized labor and organized labor history in particular, but I also talk a little bit more about some of the more recent stuff. Um, But a little bit more about me personally, uh, many of you might not know, I'm a retail worker. Uh, I'm a retail worker in the southern United States. Uh, I've been trying to sort of organize my specific store, but kind of also trying to branch out and organize my chain in particular. Um, I won't say my chain, but I will say that it's one of the chains you would least expect. And so usually people kind of get in their idea like of what it might be. Um, But yeah, that's basically me. I'm a person who really enjoys organized labor and really enjoys uh, trying to educate people about organizing their workplace. Awesome. So what we're going to do here is, you know, Alki pretty much has the floor. Uh, What we're going to do is is if we have questions come in and whatnot, Alki, I'll let you know. I'll be like, hey, you know, we've got such and such in the chat wants to know and we kind of go from there. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to start off with what unions are not and let him kind of explain, you know, some of the myths and misconceptions about unions. Uh, Then we'll follow up with what unions truly are and, you know, what organization means. And then we're going to end up the show talking about the discussion of a general strike on Black Friday. So having said that, Alki, you have the floor. Okay. Uh, So just want to go ahead and say something to chat. If you have any questions at any time, just go ahead, send them in. Um, I'll try and answer them to the best of my ability. Um. I just want to go ahead and say like, I'm not an expert on this, but to be honest with you, most people who do this, you know, it's it's a learning experience. A lot of the people, especially who are a lot younger, you know, we're all learning. Um, the other thing I want to say is I'm going to talk a little bit about labor law. Uh, I am not a lawyer. Uh, anytime I talk about labor law on my channel, I will make a disclaimer. I am not a lawyer. However, I have read quite a bit into labor law and... I will, you generally speaking, try and steer you in a way that you can avoid the law. That being said, more or less, you're not trying to get involved with the law and trying to do everything solid, you know, through solidarity. And if you have to get the law involved, you know, then you have information how to do that. Um, But anyway, let's talk about what unions aren't, right? And so union myths are... Uh, highly prevalent, obviously, within our society, especially in the South. Um, I'm from the Southeast. Uh, 
And I can tell you that some of the union myths that you hear are just, um, they're just wild, to be honest with you. But that's just generally the union atmosphere that we live in. So I think probably one of the best ones to start out with is unions as a third party, right? Um, a lot of people, if you've worked retail and at any point your employer has discussed a union, they always describe the union as a third party. Oh, you're bringing in this union and they're going to make everything difficult and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So what's the truth? The truth is that, no, unions are not a third party, right? Uh, unions are simply just the workers coming together to collective bargain, right? And so unions, as in workers in the workplace, will affiliate themselves with a larger union, right? You know, that could be the Teamsters or any other sort of union. But unions are not third parties. They are simply just the workers. Uh, and we'll expand on that a little bit. Uh, another myth that I, <laughs> I see a lot is unions will force you to strike. Um, I've actually seen it uh, at one of my former supervisors. He said, he goes, you know, if you bring a union in here, they, they tell you when to strike. You know, you don't have any say. You have to strike. Um, and I think this year has kind of shown that that's not really the truth. You know, if you've been following the strike wave, you've noticed that people, they vote on the contract. And so they vote for when the strike ends. And the truth is, is that only the workers can decide to strike. The union can't tell you to do anything. They can't, you know, force you to walk out. They can't really force you to do anything. Um, I think probably one of my favorite ones that I've seen more recently, too, is professionals don't need a union. And uh, like engineers, any sort of... Uh, skilled trade like that. And the truth is, is that, yeah, you every worker needs a union, right? If you're in any sort of industry and you're a worker and you explicitly do not own your workplace, yeah, you need a union. Because that gives you much more bargaining power over your wages, your benefits, really over your future. Um, in the case of retail, oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, a lot of people will say, you know, retail workers don't need a union because it's just a bunch of kids. Why do kids need union? Um, I, I work in retail and I can say we have, I think, about 350 workers. Of those 350 workers, I want to say it's maybe about 40 who are under the age of 18, right? Um, yeah, most retail workers obviously are... are you know, because most retail stores are open during the entire day. Mm -hmm. You know, most retail workers are above the age of 18. In many cases, they're in their late 20s to early 30s. Um, and yeah, we definitely need a union. And even if it were a bunch of kids, kids definitely would need a union. All right. Uh, we've seen what happens when you have children in the workplace, right? Uh, anyone who's like not a you know, not an adult in the workplace, you know, they can be taken advantage of. I mean, in the early days, like the, the very beginning of labor history, the reason that employers chose children was because they could exercise their authority over them. And in particular, children really didn't have a developed understanding of unions, right? Um, and so they, in, you know, specifically chose them because they could pay them less, 
They didn't have to worry about unions and children were brought up to respect authority. So, yeah, no matter who you are, if you're a worker, you need a union. So in the chat, I got a couple of things for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mariah Karen says, I've seen a lot of the quote unquote, they tell you to strike and you have no choice to strike in pulp culture as well. Um Irish Connection asks, what is a good example where unions have benefited the employees? Okay. Um, also, yeah, in media and pop culture, I, I definitely want to comment on that uh, just briefly. Uh, you see this, especially recently, like this new uh, sort of phenomenon where like they paint the union as bad or they paint unions as ineffective. Like uh, we could probably have a whole discussion just on unions and pop culture and how they've been depicted in some of the uh, negative depictions. But uh, what's a good example of where unions have benefited the employees, right? So uh, this is where I sort of disagree with labor. Uh, labor likes to do the whole historical thing. And like, I love labor history. Like I've dedicated my whole channel to it. But when you tell people today that, yeah, unions are famous. We got the eight hour day. We ended child labor. We, uh, got better workplace protections. Um, these are really disconnected for most people, especially for a lot of retail workers, because for a lot of retail workers, we work longer than 18 or eight, excuse me, eight hours a day. Um, I don't know about y'all, but like I, my days are about eight and a half to nine hours a day. Uh, another thing is weekends love to, I mean, they love to tell you about the weekend, right? Retail will be like, oh, or excuse me, unions will be like, you know, uh, retail workers, you know, you get the, the weekend, right? The whole big deal here is, is that like unions got us the weekend, right? And retail workers don't have the weekend. There's this disconnect. So basically when we talk about unions and when we talk about um, sort of the benefits that they've gotten us, we need to look towards today. We need to look at what unions do for us today. And the thing that unions do for us today uh, would be, you know, keeping the wage range within the livable range, right? A lot of places like Amazon or a lot of different retail stores, they don't pay a living wage. They just don't, right? As simple as that. They just don't pay a living wage. What a union does is, with a collective bargaining agreement, is they outline your wages. They outline your raises, they keep your wages within that livable range so you can actually, you know, pay your bills so you don't have to live off of tomato sandwiches every day. Um, some other big things that unions do, and this has been kind of from personal experience, uh, talking with some workers about their working conditions is unions keep the workplace safe. Um if you've ever talked to con- people in construction and they talk about a non-union workplace versus a union workplace, you see, I mean, the amount of accidents that you see, you know, goes up a lot when you're in that non-union workplace. The great thing about being in a union workplace is you can speak up about your working conditions without fear of being reprimanded. Now, non-union workers can also speak up about their working conditions. They also are allowed to, you know, say, this is unsafe. I'm not going to do this, right? The uh, Occupational Safety and Health Act, OSHA, that's basically where we get that right from. If 
whatever sort of task you're being asked to do is unreasonably or abnormally dangerous, you can say, I'm not going to do that. But when you have a union, right, you are protected, right? You're, you know, your employer can't come back and try and fire you for that. And then you have to go through the courts. You know, when you have a union in your collective bargaining agreement, you're going to have a just cause clause. And that clause, what it's going to do is going to protect you and say, you can't just fire this person for any reason. You have to provide a cause for why that person should be fired. And so, if so that per- mm-hmm. with that, um, at will employment, so does that, does a union keep the uh, states that have the basically we can fire you for whatever, keep them in check? Yes, indeed. Um, so I think one of the biggest things about like at will employment, and we'll get into what at will employment is and what right to work is, because a lot of people like to confuse the two. But um, I would say that like at will employment really does basically keep workers in check in the sense that it limits their ability to speak up, right? Because they can be fired for any reason, for a bad reason even. And the employer doesn't even have to really even give a reason, right? Um, the biggest sort of thing where you see this is with retail is that like a lot of them, for instance, okay, let's use mine for example. So at my employer, what they will do is they will say, you know, we have a strike system, right? And so if you reach this amount of strikes or you reach this amount of points, then you get fired, right? Um, but they're under no legal obligation to do that. So what you tend to see is they will just hold on to all of the points or the strikes. They won't put it on your record. And then whenever they want to get rid of you, say you want to unionize or, you know, your boss is just having a bad day and you just didn't talk to him nice enough for whatever reason, you know, they will pull up all of the strikes against you and then just fire you. Um, So having the just cause clause that protects you from being fired for any reason really does help. They can't just bring all these strikes up against you at the last minute. They have to put them in as they go. Otherwise, you can't be terminated. Got another question for you um, from Hero. says, if striking is a big hangup for unions with people, what are other ways beyond striking that unions cause action to happen? Okay, so this is a good question. Um, and so so unions can sort of apply pressure in different ways. Some of them are protected, some of them are not. Um, I think probably one of the ways that I've seen the most is like, when people talk tra- about traditional labor, they talk about like slowdowns and different things which are considered half strikes. Now, these aren't protected, but they are generally pretty effective because you're still getting paid, but they're also still putting pressure on the employer. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting is you have what's called work to rule. Uh, it's a type of labor action. And this action, what it does basically is you only do the items that it outline or outlined basically in your job description. So like, let's say hypothetically, you know, 
you're a forklift driver. And in your forklift description, you only do anything, you know, related to the forklift stuff. Your job does not require you to get off the machine and move pallets in a certain way, or it doesn't require you to do paperwork, right? You just decide not to do it, right? Collectively. Um, and of course, this hangs up the employer and technically results in a slowdown, but it's a way for the union to kind of put pressure on the boss in a sometimes protected way, sometimes not. It really does depend. Um, typically, if the employer is going to say, hey, this is an illegal slowdown uh, or an unlawful, unprotected slowdown, they would have to take it to court and the court would have to decide. But generally speaking, yeah, a, a good way to apply pressure to employers from the direct action side of things would be to do like something like a slowdown or something like work to rule. Um, but I mean, other ways that unions can apply pressure without doing any sort of action is like if you have a good steward and your steward is doing a good job of uh, bringing well, one second. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, so one way is like, let's say, for instance, your steward, um, they were to, uh, you know, bring this up with the company and they're doing a good job of just staying on top of like the, the grievances that you have. I mean, that can be a way that they can apply pressure to the company without really having to like rock the boat too much. Um, at the end of the day, it really comes down to like how your union is set up how good your steward is like there's different ways that basically a lot of stewards can uh apply pressure to the company without really doing anything illegal or without really you know rocking the boat too much right um another question real quick uh i know this could be a very broad one so you can you can condense this one as easy as you like uh why haven't the biggest retailers like walmart amazon and others unionized in your opinion in my opinion, um, I think it comes down, I would say it comes down to two reasons. Um, one, and probably the biggest reason, is the union busting that they do. Um, and I, I, I like to divide up union busting into a couple of different like phases. And so you have sort of the pre-union drive sort of phase. And with this phase, here's what they do, basically. They do all sorts of different actions or they put certain rules in place or they just do anything they can to get workers to believe they can't unionize, right? Um, they tell them they can't unionize. They'll, they'll spread a whole bunch of myths, like the myths that we're talking about. Um, in many ways, what they'll do is basically tell you like, hey, you can't share your wages, right? Which is unlawful. Um, if you're not talking about your wages then you're not finding the discrepancies between different you know, employees. There are folks at my retailer that are getting paid 2 or $3 more and they just got hired than people who have been with the company almost 10 years. Right? I'm, really, I'm hearing that a lot. Yeah, it's, that's sort of a, a major trend in retail. Um, just deciding not to pay workers you know, who've been with the company for a long time. You know, really the wages that they've earned. Uh, I talked with a coworker recently. I found out that they've been with the company, I think it'll be eight years coming in February. And so we have sort of a range, right? And the range is for uh, your position. 
They're only making 50 cents above the minimum. And they've been in that position the entire eight years. And they've been eight years with the company. Meanwhile, some of their coworkers are making $10 or $11.50 even. And they just got hired. Some of them just got hired within the past year. And, you know, if you're not sharing your wages, you would never know that. Right. Yep. Um, but once you start sharing your wages, then you find that out. Right. So, of course, your employer is going to be like, you can't do that. They're going to do whatever they can, say whatever they can to prevent you from getting to the organizing stage or to prevent you from getting to the unionizing drive stage. Now, when you get to the unionizing drive stage, that's where all hell breaks loose. Yep. Um, they bring in a union busting firm. Uh, Jackson Lewis is probably one of the most prominent ones, but there's thousands of them. There's at least a couple thousand. Um, and basically, all their job is to do, they get paid, by the way, upwards of $1,000 a day to do this. Come and wow. advise the company on imagine if they just spent that money on raising your wages rather than bringing in a union buster. Like that's how powerful unions are when workers come together and they actively fight for what they deserve, right? The fact that the employer is going to spend a thousand dollars a day for usually months, by the way, to bring in these people rather than just giving you the wages, like that shows you just how powerful a union is. Um, but anyway, they'll bring in this firm and they do these meetings. They're called captive audience meetings. And they basically lock you in a room. Uh, they don't actually lock you, but you have to go to these meetings or you can be terminated. Um, and they basically tell you why a union is bad. They use all the, the myths. You know, They say it's a third party. We're a family here. If they tell you, if they tell you we're a family here, then run. yeah, you <laughs> run or unionize. You um, know things are bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One question that kind of goes along with the myths, and, and I'm just curious on this. Um, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, one thing that I've always thought of with unions is, you know, it offers protection for the workforce, but does it protect um, the lousy employee who really is there just to collect a paycheck just as equally as it does the performing employee? Um. So, so you hear this a lot. They'll say, well, they'll protect lazy workers. They'll protect, you know, like uh, workers who can go and they can sleep for half their shift and it protects them. And, and, and truly it doesn't um, because, again, it's, it's just cause. So uh, one of my favorite sort of stories that I've, I once heard was somebody said, well, you know, this guy would come in and he would spend eight hours doing nothing and he would go home. Right. And so. In reality, I was like, I don't think that probably was happening. But if it was, all the manager has to do is make a note of that, right? And right. so they can bring that up and say, hey, I caught so-and-so sleeping on the job. He, you know, He's not doing his work, and I've noticed he's been doing this day after day after day. Generally, at that point, you know, you've met Just Cause, right? This guy obviously isn't doing the work. He's not following you know, the protocol. And, and the union, the union will still try and protect him in the sense that he did pay his dues technically, 
So he is entitled to some representation. But I mean, I, I've talked with people in unions who've even said, like, when they have a worker like that, they'll just be like, yeah, no, I mean, we can't really do anything for you. You're, you're going to lose this case no matter what, right? They'll still give them something of a defense, but yeah, they, there's not really much they can do there. You know, they've they've already met just cause. Another one from the chat, uh, Greyhawk Raven as says, in my experience, I've seen union jobs that don't require workers to join, but still protect those non-union employees. What's the purpose of playing the union fee to be a member if they still protect non-union members? Okay, so this is good. This sort of moves us in the direction of a uh, right to work. Um, so that's basically the entire point of right to work, right? Right to work essentially says you cannot bargain for an agreement where someone, everyone has to pay the dues, right? So like non-members do not have to pay dues in right-to-work states. And the whole point of that basically is to say, okay, you could talk to a worker, like the employer could talk to a worker and they say, well, you don't have to join the union. They're still going to represent you, but you don't even have to pay dues, right? It creates this basically a freeloader mentality, as some people call it. Um, and the whole idea basically is that the less money that they're getting from dues, that's the less resources that the union has. And over time, unions will be exhausting resources to represent employees who basically are getting some benefit, less benefit over time, I should add, but they're getting some benefit uh, from that. And so right to work basically creates that incentive. Why should I pay my dues if I'm still going to get represented, right? And obviously the answer to that is if you want good representation, your union has to have the resources to provide legal fees, to do some of the more bureaucratic uh, stuff that, you know, a lot of workers wouldn't be able to do or wouldn't have the time to do. Um, so the argument, you know, a lot of people will say, so yeah, why should I do that? If I live in a right to work state, why should I pay my dues? It's because over time your union is going to get weaker and they won't be able to get you the higher wages that you want. They won't be able to get you the better benefits. Um, at that point, you know, it's almost like, what's the point in having a union there, right? Right. So if you have a union in your workplace, and even if you're not a member, you know, you should pay your dues, right? Preferably you should become a member, right? So that way you can participate in union elections. You can participate in uh, some of the community stuff that your union does. But um, you want to pay your dues so that you can have a strong union that can keep your wages up. Speaking of dues, what kind of is it a direct payment from the employee? Is it taken out of their paycheck? Is it monthly, weekly? Okay. Um, so this is one of those situations where it depends kind of broadly, like, you know, different unions have different situations set up. Uh, but uh, for, I think most unions... If you get a check every two weeks, right, um, a portion of that is deducted and it's sent basically to the union. It's sent technically to the international and the international will give whatever funds are needed to the local that represents you. Um, this is called dues checkoff, right? Now, dues checkoff is highly controversial. Um, so uh, amongst the more conservative side of labor, uh, you see them saying, yeah, dues checkoff is good. You know, uh, you don't have to deal with the whole collecting of dues. It just really automates the entire process, right? Now, from the more, 
I guess you could say left-leaning side of this, uh, dues checkoff is seen really as a way that, you know, unions are just simplifying the process but not interacting with workers. Uh, Historically, if you wanted to pay your dues, you had to either go to the local or the steward had to talk to you, right? And this created dialogue, right? While you were paying your dues, that was a great time to talk about grievances. So your steward would get an idea of, you know, what's going on in the workplace, and then they could start kind of coming up with an idea of how to fix that problem. Uh, so dues checkoff is kind of highly controversial, but generally speaking, yeah, they just deduct it from your your check. Now, uh, is there an effective period? Because we had a question come through. What if you pay your dues on Friday and have an issue on Saturday? Is there an effective period? Uh, no. Um, it depends. Again, I think it depends kind of like on your local. It might depend on your union. But generally speaking, uh, you know, if you once you join and you've paid your dues and typically like you'll pay maybe like two checks worth of dues as like an initiation fee. Um, that depends on the union, depends on the local. Um, but yeah, as soon as like you become a member and you start paying dues, you know, you can start engaging in the grievance process. Is there um, a grace period? I mean, let's say, uh, let's say you, you're not having it deducted from your check and, and you're responsible for physically paying these. You Obviously there's gotta be a cutoff time. Um, now from what I know, Sometimes there is. Sometimes it just has to do with your initiation fee because since generally speaking, as a part of your dues, you'll pay like an initiation fee. Um, and so from what I've heard, like between the time that like you do your initiation fee uh, on, that's like when you can start engaging in the grievance process. Until you've paid that initiation fee, you technically can't. Though I've heard some people say it just really does depend on the local. It kind of depends at the local level. In your experience, what kind of money are people looking at here? Oh, yeah, this is a great question. Uh, because you see a lot of people, this is a common myth. You see this myth probably more than anything else. Uh, dues are expensive. Why would you pay dues? They're really expensive. You know, you're paying out a lot of money. You could be buying a gaming console. You could be buying anything else, even though, you know, if you're earning higher wages because you pay your dues, then you can also afford the gaming console. But anyway, um, dues are generally very, very, very cheap compared to what people think. I see people saying like, oh man, I'm going to be paying 20% of my check. And it's like, no, well, what? Uh, uh, which you'll probably be paying is around 1%. Um, I've seen anywhere from half, I think it's like half a percent up to four or 5%. Now the people who are paying four or 5% typically are like in skilled trades. And I mean, a lot of those guys are making $30 an hour to, um, uh, I just recently talked with an electrician, a union electrician, uh, in the southeast and he was getting paid 36 dollars an hour and he's like yeah my dues are four four percent but 36 dollars an hour you can't really complain there on top of benefits nice nice uh let me make see if we've got anything else in here um we'll get to this one a little bit later irish asks are there any downsides to unions um, yeah, I mean, I think 
when we talk about the downsides to union, we can kind of uh, talk a little bit about like different union structures. So like, obviously, not all unions are the same, obviously, in the sense that they don't represent the same type of people, or they uh, have different internal structures. But also like different unions, more or less have different philosophies, right? So if you take Let's take the Teamsters, right? Most people know the Teamsters the, the, is the truck driver union, right? Right. Um, so in the Teamsters, you have a very clear hierarchical structure, you know, from even within the local, you know, you've got oh, obviously your rank and file workers, you have stewards. Uh, you might have people who do some of the bureaucracy at the local level, and then you'll have a president, right? And from there, that bureaucracy extends to like the international or the national uh, union. Um, and so one of the downsides to that structure is that you have some people higher up, right? They People call them union bosses, right? And there's a lot of problems with that because technically they are elected. You know, I would love to be in a position where I got to elect my boss, right? Uh, but these are people who are supposed to be leaders and are supposed to be elected officials. And I think there are two big problems. There's the one problem that everyone is thinking of is corruption, right? Um, if you have people who are not rank and file and they have authority over people, you could that presents the potential for corruption. Um, and unions as a concept are not inherently corrupt, but People are corrupt, you know, let's be real. Unions, just like anything else, they're human institutions. And so within those human institutions, there are going to be people who are corrupt. There are going to be people who try and take advantage of people. And if you've ever kind of seen union members react to that, especially in the United Auto Workers, oh, they go off on these people. They do not like corrupt politicians taking money that should be used for collective bargaining or for strike funds and funneling it into something, you know, that it's not that or pocketing it, right? So they they go to town on those people. Um, and so that structure inherently sort of creates those sort of situations. So that's kind of a downside to unions. Um, mm -hmm. Another question. Um, oh, where did it go? So you said that, you know, it addresses wages, benefits, safety. Um, does it address anything else? Uh, the examples given would be like the good old boys club promotions, harassment, uh, mental health time off, those kind of things. Or are those things that would be negotiated during like the collective bargaining process? Yes. Uh, all of those things are typically, you know, you can you can essentially bargain for anything, I guess, in theory, assuming your union is strong enough, you know. But um, yeah, all of those things typically could go into a collective bargaining agreement. Um, mental health is kind of like a one that I've been talking with some retail workers about and like seeing what they would want. And so I've been looking kind of at um, collective bargaining agreements that I've found that are publicly posted in the retail sector, uh, particularly like in Canada. And like, they typically try and plan for like, for instance, at my retailer, you're supposed to get one weekend a month, right? But generally that, it sometimes happens, but some departments it doesn't. If you're a cashier, that, that almost never happens. So like in the collective bargaining agreement, they put in there that, hey, workers must get one weekend a month, right? Uh, for mental health. 
because we all know what if you've been a cashier and you've worked a you've worked a weekend, you know you need mm-hmm. a weekend off. You shouldn't be working four weekends a month. That's ridiculous. Or five weekends a month in some cases. That's just ridiculous. Um, some other things that like unions can put in their collective bargaining agreements. Um, one of the things that I kind of find interesting as well is kind of like looking at like your your um, your health benefits. Like if you get health care and in retail, I know that is unfortunately way too few of us. Uh, if you do get your health care benefits, your union benefits are going to be better. They're also going to be a little bit less expensive, which is nice. A lot of retailers that have uh, health care are trying to put more and more of the cost on the employees. So having a collective bargaining agreement keeps your costs lower than if you don't have a union. Oh, so like you could actually collect a bargain for your premiums to go down or you're out of pocket, you know, whatever your pay periods are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, one one interesting thing as well on harassment. So that wouldn't necessarily be a part of the collective bargaining agreement. It might be like if, say, like in theory, you could bargain for that. You could say, hey, if someone has a history of misconduct, we want this person to be able to be removed and create a process for that. And if the employer agrees to that, like that would be amazing. I don't know how often employers would do that. I imagine they wouldn't. So... Um, what unions would probably do, and and when we say unions, of course, we mean the workers, what they would probably do is they would probably protest that. They would probably find different ways uh, to put pressure on the company to get that person fired. So like when you had Target Workers Unite on, that was an amazing uh, video, by the way. If you haven't seen that, you should watch it. But um, in that Stream. He talks about getting a worker, or excuse me, a person in management fired for being just a harasser, for you know, sexually harassing different employees. And the way they did that was by engaging in one-day strikes. Right. Uh, another way they did it was just really talking to employees and also talking to customers and saying, "Hey, this guy who works at our, you know, our workplace." who's a manager, is abusing us and getting sympathy, public sympathy on this, their side. And so that's a way to effectively get what you need as well. Like there's a lot of different avenues outside of the collective bargaining process or out of the agreement to uh, get what you want. It dep- awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got any other really important myths that we haven't hit? Um. Yes. Yes, I do, actually. Okay. Um, One of the big ones that I see pop up every so often is you get people who say, like, ah, unions are only for miners and plumbers, right? And a lot of people say that's that's where most workers who are in unions are. And I want to say that is not the case, right? Most workers who are represented by a union, believe it or not, are teachers, right? The biggest union in the United States is the teachers union is the national education association of the united states they represent teachers bus drivers cafeteria workers a whole bunch of different people in the the education industry as my friend unfortunately calls it um on top of that the next biggest one is the uh service employees international union now Service employees, you might be thinking, well, they would represent retail workers, right? Well, no, they represent mainly uh, workers in 
the health and care industry, uh, professional or not professional. They represent a lot of nurses. Uh, they represent actually a large different a uh, bunch of industries. They they represent, for instance, like law enforcement. They represent janitorial staff. Uh, anyone who provides like a service, more or less. Like a public uh, service, basically. Yes. And then the fifth largest union in the United States represents retail workers. It's the United Food and Commercial Workers. Um, so when people tell you that like, oh, unions are only necessary for plumbers or electricians or miners that's that's not the truth most most employees and most union uh workers are not actually in mines or not in factories um a couple of other myths i think these are kind of the last two big ones these are the last two uh these last two are the ones that you'll see a lot uh in coming days especially as we get closer to black friday is like unions hurt the economy right they say oh you know it causes inflation uh you know unions unions just overall hurt the economy and this is not true uh it's not true one because you can look at the nordic model you can look at nordic countries that have strong unions and they also have pretty strong economies uh why do they have strong economies well when workers make more they have more money to spend and inject into the economy yep and as a result that flow is basically this giant circle where the more money they are able to inject into the economy uh, the the stronger the economy gets, right? It's this weird idea that people think that unions would hurt the economy. You know, it, ha- workers having more money, what are they going to do? Are they just going to sit on that money? Well, unfortunately, you know, they're not like Elon Musk. They can't just sit on that money and do right. nothing with it or spend it on, you know, crypto or whatever. The fact is, people buy food, you know, they got to spend it on rent, they got to spend it on different things, and that that stimulates the economy. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Uh, last one. This is the biggest one that I see in regards to politics, because a lot of people talk about how unions are political. And, uh, you know, one thing is, if you're complaining about unions being political, I don't like unions kind of choosing a side when it comes to political parties. Unfortunately, union membership is seen as more of a political sort of type of uh, a thing. Like, you know, it should be economic, right? You know, it makes more sense. We're talking about economics when we talk about unions. But unfortunately, union membership is seen as a very uh, political sort of action. But uh, you see a lot of people say, well, unions are going to use my dues and they're going to send it to the Democrats. No, that's that's them. That's not how that happens. Uh, that's actually illegal. Unions are not allowed to take any dues money and give it to any sort of federal uh, election campaign. That's just that's against the law. Uh, I've talked with a couple of guys. Uh, one guy is a president. He's a David Story. If you if you ever listen to the Labor Valley Report. And he talks about getting audited twice a year to ensure that every penny of the money that's collected via the union, via dues, that is only used in the collective bargaining process or the the bureaucracy that they need. Um, Now, you'll probably think, well, unions do lobby, right? They do actually give money to political campaigns. The way that they do that is... They will ask for donations from their members and from non-members. That money gets funneled through a super PAC, 
And then that money through the super PAC goes to political campaigns or goes towards lobbying. That's the only way that they can do that. And again, no dues money can go towards that. That's only donations that they can ask for. Awesome. Okay, so now tell us what unions truly are. Okay, so what is a union, right? I think we've been talking about unions all this time, well over 30 minutes, and you're probably thinking, like, I know what a union is. You know, most of us learned about unions in school. We have this concept that we know what a union is. And what a union is truly is an association of workers, two or more, coming together to achieve common goals. Um, This sounds really vague and really broad, but the truth is, is that really unions, as long as you have at least two people in a workplace trying to improve their workplace, fighting for whatever goals, be it in the workplace or outside of the workplace, that is a union. Um, And you see a lot of people who think that in order to have a union, you have to be in the Teamsters. You got to be in the SEIU. You got to be in any sort of national or international union. That's that's not how that works. You and your workers, or you and your coworkers, can decide. Hey, we don't want to go that route. We want to go what we call solidarity unionism or rank and file unionism. So what that is is you decide. We're not going to go down that route of affiliating with another union. What we're going to do is we're going to form our own union. We make our own decisions. We, through consensus decision-making, decide what actions we take, whether or not we even want to have dues, how much those dues are. You literally take the whole brunt of the stuff that you need to do, and you take that into your hands. Um, And so that's fundamentally what a union is uh it's really just two or more workers in a workplace fighting for whatever they think they deserve Uh, there was a question from irish uh what do union workers want more job security higher wages health benefits um I i would say it depends on the industry i would probably say nowadays it's leaning more towards wages um, uh, wages have stagnated and you probably, if you've familiar with Bernie Sanders and how he's talked about how wages have stagnated since the 80s, uh, it, a big thing that people are looking for now is just really higher wages. You see that especially in retail. A lot of retail workers are not making a livable wage. So when retail workers or various different other workers, they come together and they form that union that's their biggest thing is getting that wage raise. Now, in other industries, it might be job security. Uh, I would definitely say, for instance, in like the automotive industry, that is a big thing, right? Job security. And what they are really talking about is not having my job sent overseas. Um, and unions haven't exactly, they've had a decent track record with, with being able to prevent certain jobs from going overseas, but for a lot of manufacturing jobs, it's been incredibly difficult to keep those jobs in the United States. So in any sort of manufacturing industry, job security might be the thing that they go for the most. Um, 
Health benefits is definitely in industries where either they generally don't have uh, health benefits. So retail is a big one. Uh, a lot of retail workers who uh, are represented either by the Teamsters or by the UFCW, like that, that's a big thing that they want is they want a good healthcare uh, system and they want their healthcare premiums not to be too high. Um, so it, it depends on the industry, but I would say right now, if we're talking, it's wages. I have a great question for you from the chat. Okay. Mariah Karen says, if my employer is ahead of the curve, i.e. offers a livable wage, good benefits, PTO, etc., is it still advantageous to join a union? Okay, this is a great question. Yes. So, and I've actually had coworkers say, well, I like the benefits that I'm getting. I like the pay that I'm getting. Uh, you know, why should I join a union? And I always tell them this. You like your pay today. But if your pay does not significantly increase or doesn't at least increase with inflation, then every year you're getting a pay cut. And so it's advantageous to join a union because you can keep those wages basically along with inflation, right? As inflation goes up, so do your wages. Um, but also, let's say... A uh, hypothetical situation, right? You know, you're getting the livable wage, you're getting good benefits, PTO or whatever. Um, let's say that uh, your healthcare doesn't cover dental, right? Um, you want dental or you want a different dental plan, right? It's advantageous to have a union because without a union, normally you would just have to say, hey, we want a different dental plan. And your employer doesn't really have any incentive to offer you a better dental plan. But with a union, you can negotiate for that. So um, unions really do help you keep, well, they help you get more benefits if you need them or specific benefits, maybe that would be advantageous to your industry, but they also just generally keep wages within the livable range. That is awesome. That, and you know, and I thought that was a great question too. He he had sent it earlier, and I lost it in the in the chat, <laughs> and he he popped it back up. But yeah, that was a excellent excellent question. Um, so what else you got? Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit about forming a union, and just more broadly, um, it can be incredibly difficult to talk about specific industries. Um, but let's let's talk about retail, right? Can I form a union? I think a lot of people have, they get sometimes their employer to say, you can't form a union in this industry or in this state. And the truth is, is that you can, right? If you work for a private employer, the National Labor Relations Act says that you have the right to collective bargaining. Uh, this is extremely important to know because I've talked to people in the South, especially in my home state of North Carolina, and they will say, we cannot legally form a union here. And I have to go through a whole rigmarole explaining, no, 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 we can. We, they cannot get rid of that at the state level. They just can't. Um, what's pretty interesting, though, is once you start getting out of the private sector, um, in out of specific areas of the private sector. So like, let's say you work for an airline. 
excuse me. If you work for an airline or you work for a railroad and you you do any sort of like interstate type of uh, job, you're not covered by that act, the National Labor Relations Act. You're covered by the uh, Railway Labor Act. And that's where things get a little dicey because you technically just cannot strike, right? You can't even just vote to strike. Uh, a judge has to grant you the right to strike. Um, or, yeah, basically. They have to say, hey, you can go on strike for this reason. Um, and there's a lot of political reasons to do that in the sense that in the 30s, truckers were really effective at uh, shutting down uh, businesses and uh, interrupting commerce by just being like, yeah, we're not going to cross state lines. We're not going to do this, that, the other thing. And so basically the law was like, okay, we got to stop these guys doing this because it, it's too effective. And there's a whole rigmarole that we go down and a whole like basically line of history when it comes to labor laws that are actually sort of giving you rights but taking rights away but uh I, that's a whole another stream we could we could do we could probably dedicate hours just talking about that um but i think that's probably the last sort of main thing related to unions and so now i think would be a great time to segment towards the uh the thing that everyone's been talking about recently, uh, probably uh, Reddit's biggest sort of new trend with anti-work, which is general strikes, and in particular, the Black Friday general strike. So that's the thing that I think a lot of people probably want to hear about. Um, so, so the Black Friday general strike is kind of interesting in the sense that uh, we, we saw actually just last month people had tried to organize, and I, I put organize in quotations, a national general strike, right? And that didn't really go through. And so a lot of people are wondering, like, well, okay, what happened? And and what really happened is, is that only 10% of workers in the United States are unionized. And this sort of complicates things when it comes to the fact that if you want to have a general strike, you need most workers unionized. Now, one thing I will say is that it's possible to organize a large amount of workers in a short amount of time. Uh, in the lead up to the uh, 1892 New Orleans general strike, you saw a lot of workers who weren't in unions join unions. Uh, in 1934, Minneapolis, following a general strike, a whole bunch of truckers decided, hey, this is a good time to join a union. This union is a fighting union. We got to join. Um, their union membership went up by thousands uh, in the months following, which actually resulted in two more general strikes. Uh, if you're interested in that, by the way, you can go to my channel and actually see videos on these two general strikes I've talked about. Um, and so I, I, I'm sort of torn on the, the black... Friday general strike in the sense that I think a Black Friday general strike is a good idea. I think the idea of doing a action on a day where employers expect to make a large amount of profit is a good idea. This is why you see, for instance, workers uh, in the Wirecutter Union, which the Wirecutter Union is uh, the union that represents the uh, New York Times workers. Um, they are planning a Black Friday strike because that's basically the most profitable day of the year and they want the New York Times to recognize their union and collectively bargain fairly 
which the New York Times refuses to do. Um, so I think that, right, doing Black Friday, a Black Friday action is good. What I don't support is uh, sort of just declaring the action and not organizing. I think there are a lot of drawbacks to doing that in the sense that at best, nothing happens, right? You know, nobody walks out and and you kind of sort of missed a, a, an interesting opportunity to potentially get higher wages in the workplace or, you know, bring up grievances and try and get those settled. At worst, it sort of puts a target on your back, right? When you're forming a union, you're secretive about it. It's like a secret society. And you do this because you want to delay as much of the union busting process as possible. You don't want your employer finding out that you're doing all this because as soon as they do, they're going to figure out what they need to do to shut it down, be it legal or illegal. They will fire people who are organizing rather than firing everybody because at the end of the day, it makes it a lot more sense and makes it a lot more justifiable to just fire one or two organizers than to fire, you know, 10 employees. Uh, sometimes they don't even fire anyone. They just start calling people into HR and scaring them that way. Um, and so my sort of uh, thing that I don't want to see is I don't want to see retail workers walking out without having organized. And I mean, organized is simple as really just talking with your coworkers, talking about what's wrong in the workplace, right? Hey, we haven't gotten a good raise wage in two years. You know, last year I didn't even get a, a a raise, even though we were raising record profits for the company. We didn't get a raise. You know, so that's something that if, for instance, you didn't get a raise or you have other grievances, you should bring up with your employees and start talking about, hey, what if we decided to form a rank and file union? Hey, what if we coordinated with other departments and we decide we're not going to work? Or, you know, you call in and you say, hey, if you do not raise our wages by Black Friday, we walk out Black Friday, right? Doing that, I can guarantee you, is a lot more effective, right? It puts a lot more pressure on the uh, employer. Um, I mean, canceling Black Friday in general is just a good idea just because how much of a hell day that is. But Putting yourself in the position to get something out of the strike is what you want to do. Um, and so that's why I think I'm not against people calling for, hey, we should do a strike. But what I'm against is people just sort of rushing into it because there are consequences for our actions. Unfortunately, you know, employers have a lot more power that they can leverage over us. And so we want to develop and build our power as much as possible before we reveal ourselves, you know? So I would think in all honesty for people that are really pushing for that to me, from a common sense standpoint, we'd be looking at planning now for next year. Um, yes, I would say for a national effort, definitely. Um, uh, it would make a lot more sense to try if you want to organize a national, uh, a truly national industry-wide strike. It, it would probably take a year, um, a year of organizing, a year of getting coworkers to really see like, hey, this is how bad things are. We really got to you know, step up and do something. We got to change things. Now, 
I will say that if you're doing something local, like in your workplace, maybe within, like if you work at Best Buy and there's two Best Buys in your city, maybe if you two, two different Best Buys coordinated, you might be able to actually pull something off this year. But I think for a national thing, I think whenever people hear the term general strike, they think a national general strike. And we've never really had a national general strike. The closest we've ever come was in like 1877. And that was national in scale and not national in coordination. Um, truly, if we want to have a Black Friday general strike, I would say I would say two things. I would say we need to start organizing now and start agitating people and engaging in the organizing process and learning how to organize. Um, I would say that there's two resources if you want to learn how to organize. Uh, there is uh, UWOC, which is the uh, Emergency Workers Organizing Committee. Uh, they do a training. Um, I, I would definitely say that if you are trying to get people involved and maybe people aren't very political, um, that might be the route to go. Uh, especially even though it's organized by the DESA and um, uh, UE, it, it's not super political. And I mean, even then, it's it, the optics look good, right? For a lot of people who maybe are like scared that like they're going to do communism, like by unionizing, you know, that that's definitely the route to go. The better training, in my personal opinion, is the IWW's training. They do organizer training 101, which you can sign up for. Um, if you actually go to their website, you can go down to the bottom and reach out to an organizer and they can help set that up. Um, the, the two reasons why I like the IWW's model better is it does a better job of just showing you how to create a rank and file union, which is if you're going to do a national general strike, going to have to be done at the rank and file level. Um, and the other reason I would say is, is that it's a shorter course. It's like four days over the course of, uh, a month. Uh, and you know, it's, it's via zoom meeting and it's really accessible. Uh, the cool thing about it is you can get your coworkers involved. You know, it's a good idea to try and get, Hey, Hey, I'm going to do this zoom meeting and we're going to learn how to maybe improve things in our workplace. Does anybody want to take it with me? Like, like that strategy could be really effective. You could build an organizing committee in your job of two people who know how to organize. And then you could start building the foundation for that, that retail strike in every retail store in America. If we start at that level. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that if we want the national general strike, uh, we need to start organizing now, basically. We right. still have to, you know, we have to start forming a union. I mean, I think it's really that simple. You can't have a general strike without unions. You need that organization. You need, I mean, you need a lot more. Like you need mutual aid if you're going to do it for more than a day. I would say a Black Friday strike really either needs to be a day or uh, potentially what you could do is maybe do it that Friday and then do it Cyber Monday as well. Um, you know, but it, the needs really end up coming down to how your workplace is organized, right? Uh, that All that stuff you're going to plan at the local level. But uh, yeah, if we want to see a national general strike, which I mean, I want to see one. Like I'm, that's my politics, y'all. I, I would love to see a general strike in the retail industry where we say, hey, listen, you're, you're going to pay us. You're going to pay us 
for all the hardship that we dealt with, not just during the pandemic, but for all those years that in decades, really, that you haven't raised wages. I'd love to see that. I but would too. We just have, yeah, I think we just have to start organizing now. Um, I, th- I do believe and- Black Friday would be the most effective, obviously, because that's a big punch in the pocketbook. Um, but like, you know, to your point, you're absolutely correct. You know, that's something that you start now for next year, you know, to make it impactful. And like Hero said in the comments, I see a lot of talk online about just walking out, but not any discussion about any specific goal to be achieved other than basically flipping off the company. And if you're going to do something this powerful, you do it, you know, for personal gains. I mean, you better benefits, better pay. You know, there's all sorts of reasons to do it. And you know, like you said, the organization part of it. I mean, honestly, if this was a movement that started now, kind of underground recruiting people or whatnot, boy, they think this Black Friday is rough with supply chain issues. Can you imagine that bombshell next year? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, kind of to further add to that, actually, um, I think one thing that would be effective um for doing like retail is like a lot of people are looking at this at the store level like oh uh, can you hear me yep okay um at the store level i think there's two things that um are great obviously you know you're not dealing with customers like there's a way to really stop the profits but i mean Think about it. retail is a huge industry. You could really expand it. You could really get like like the cool thing about it is once you organize, you start talking with different people, you start passing different ideas around, you start getting some pretty ambitious goals, right? Uh, I talked with one guy who's in um, so like I work for a retailer and I deal with unloading the trucks. And one guy was like, "Why are you guys just talking about the store? What if you started getting?" like people within retail distribution to say, yeah, we're not going to load trucks ahead of time. Right. Oh, wow. You effective, you effectively expand the strike because it's like the goods aren't even in the store. Um, if you do it correctly. Um, and just, you can really get creative with it. If you organize, you know, just simply deciding, Hey, you know, we want to do it this at the store we want to you know expand this to the distribution like you can do that once you start organizing and bouncing ideas off of each other but i think that um we just don't want to rush it i think rushing a general strike is bad because we have examples we have one particular example of a general strike that was kind of rushed and it failed and it actually kind of destroyed the labor movement uh it was the 1919 Seattle general strike. And I mean, if you look at the, the 20 year period after, I mean, it really destroyed the labor movement in Seattle for, for years. Um, and that's what we don't want. We don't want things to get worse in retail. We don't want retailers to like take a general strike and be like, Oh, you know, this failed. We're going to really throw the book at them. You know, we want to be able to succeed because what we say in the labor movement is there's no such thing as an illegal strike if you win. So the whole thing is we got to plan to win, right? Because if you win, sure, there'll still be consequences. Don't get me wrong. Like there still could be legal consequences. There could be, you know, people still could lose their jobs. But you have to think about not just the gains that you would get from winning, but the movement you could build from winning, that is awesome. I, I've got to read this for you. All right. So Hero says, 
thank Alki for talking with us. The passion of what's being shared really shows through. Where does that passion come from? Just a desire to help people or a particular event that motivated you? Um, this is a good question. Um, and thank you for having me, of course. I mean, this is, this has been great. You know, you don't really get to talk about retail, uh, workplace organizing very often. And so, you know, this is great. This is, this is the type of conversations that build a movement, but, um, the passion, uh, it comes a little bit from my obsession with history. I just love history. I love organized labor history. Um, I've always really just had a deep passion for that and just telling people about what we achieved in the labor movement and what we could achieve. Um, but also part of it is, I think, a desire to just sort of help people, especially in my industry, in retail, see that we can build a movement and we can get the wages we deserve. It's it is heartbreaking to talk to workers who leave the company and their reason for leaving isn't because they hate the company or they hate the management. It's literally just because they cannot afford to work there anymore. Um, and so that pushes me every day to help build a better retail store, but also just to build a movement that can get people what they deserve. I tell you what, my friend, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, this this stuff is is you know, you make a great point. You know, there's not a lot of talk or conversations like this that we can actually access where people talk about you know retail and you know unionizing. You know, we we discussed via messaging. You know how hard it is, especially in the southeast. And oh yeah, and and you're right. You know, conversations like this. You know, these these are the building blocks to building something better. And you know, I would love to have you on again. You know, any topic that you come across, you know, that you feel is appropriate, you let me know, and and we'll we'll do another one. I've got no problem with that because, like I said, it, it's just been amazing you know, listen to you explain all this stuff. And there's a lot of people that, that will watch this or hear this later that have no clue what it's about and actually get something out of it and start learning things. And I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'd, I'd love to come back on. I mean, this has been great. It's been great. The way that you've been able to bring people on your show and actually have them talk about their experience. I think that's really what gets people talking. That's really what starts conversations is having people on to just talk about, hey, this is what my job is like. This is how ridiculous it is. Because people, they relate to that, right? Yep. It becomes personal for them. And that's that's how we start building movements, you know? And in retail especially, you know, having solidarity with people, be it not just within your company, but within the industry, you know, it's, yeah, this is, this stuff like this really does build movements. It really does help. Well, I thank you for being part of the family, because like I've said, everybody who comes on, you're part of the family at that point. So it's, it's <laughs> awesome. And, you know, to your point, I mean, really and truly, I mean, that's kind of why, you know, I do this. I mean, I, my time in retail is done. You know, it, this isn't about me. It's about, you know, conversations with people and giving them a platform to talk about, maybe things they wouldn't talk about before, you know, because as it, you know, my personal opinion still is that the retail industry right now is a garbage profession because of the mistreatment of, you know, different people and, and the wages. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of stats and everything. We, we've seen all that stuff, but, 
you know, this is this is a people movement. This isn't, you know, uh, you know, a deal like, hey, look at me, I've got a show. No, this is this is all about the field, you know, and people like you that you know have the passion, you know, like you said for you know organized labor and whatnot. You help with that. You know, you never know who's going to stumble across the video or stumble across the, you know, the podcast later and whatnot. And it could actually change somebody for the good. And, you know, it's conversations like, you know, and having guests on like you that make it even more worth it, you know, to do this, you know, one, two, three times a week. So, you know, I really, really, really thank you. And we will have you back on again. Um, the the feedback in the chat's been fantastic. Um, I knew this would be great because I've watched your videos and everybody go to his YouTube channel because it, it is, it's stout. This man knows his stuff. So go, go, go be an Alki fan. It's worth it, I promise <laughs> you. So, but anyway, we're sitting at an hour 13. I think this has been fantastic. This will not be the last time you hear from Alki. <laughs> So, like I said, Alki, if you got something that comes up, that, like if all of a sudden you have an idea, he's like, hey, you know, what do you think about talking about such and such? Yep, come on, <laughs> we'll do it. So, it, it, it'll be worth it. So, do you have any last words for everybody? Um, yes, of course. Organize your workplace. You know, consider joining the IWW. I always have to plug my union. I mean, they've helped me the most when it comes to just trying to organize my workplace. Um, and if you have questions, you know, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. My DMs are open. You know, if I can't answer it right away, I will try and find the answer. And, uh, you know, just if you have questions ever, just, you know, find a way to either get out to me or, you know, we can do like a whole Q&A session. I'd love to do that. You oh, know, we, can, so. we can. We can. We, we, hey, I'm I'm looking to fill up the rest of the year, so I'll be talking with you about that here in a few days. All right. Okay. Definitely. Awesome. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. This was this was amazing. Uh, I love your community. I just this is this has honestly been an honor. Thank you. Well, it's been an honor having you. So thank you so much. And uh, everybody, I'm not sure what we're doing uh, for the next one. It'll be fun. I've been taking suggestions. I did. I did get a suggestion talking about uh, how people get trapped in retail and not able to leave because it's like a cult. That might actually be a good one. Um, that goes back to uh, Irish's whole being married to an unfaithful job. So we, we we might do that. But anyway, guys, thank thank you everybody for turning out tonight. Thank you, Alex, for being on, and we will see you next time.